Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Megan Roop. Megan is known for her simplified dance cardio moves that anyone at any level can feel successful doing. So she launched the Sculpt Society in 2017 by combining her passion for dance and love for fitness. Her programs include dance cardio and sculpting workouts that are designed to create long, lean, and strong bodies. Megan takes the pressure off of results and before and afters as it helps her community focus on finding the joy in movement and creates a healthy balance in their lives. Megan continues to listen to her community and regularly creates new programming, including her pre and postnatal TSS Mama program, injury safe programs, quickies, and has an ever expanding library with over 400 on-demand workouts and multiple live classes a week, including yoga, meditation, dance cardio, and sculpt. So basically she does it all. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on our Fitness Explained episode on Dear 20 Something. Please welcome Megan Roop. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. It's so fun reading your bio. You guys have quite the Rolodex of workouts. My goodness. Yes, it's it's a lot of work, but I'm super passionate about what I do. So it's not too bad. Yeah. Good gig. Good gig. (laughs) Well, before we dive into the nitty gritty, we do like to start our show with a bit of a fun question. You can make this as serious or as light as you want. So do with that what you will. But what is something new that you learned in this past week? I think it sort of pertains to more of of myself letting go and what we're starting to hire. So we just hired someone new. And I think it's learning to know when when it's the right time to expand your team and and allow maybe less control (laughs) and trust into, you know, different roles within my company. So I think it's just, that's something I'm really learning to do more of. And unfortunately, that's not something that you ever master. It's just always a work in progress of like, oh, letting go of control and delegating and all the things that feel weird in the moment, but like are absolutely necessary to scale, obviously. What was the moment when you realized I need to hire someone for this exact role you're talking about? I feel like I've known for a really long time. Luckily, my husband recently came on about over a year ago to be my COO. And I think with his help has really shown me that in order to scale, we need to invest back in the company with with people and smarter people than than we are in different roles. And I think it's just taken me a while to get here. And I think just to find the right people has also been a challenge but I'm really grateful. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. And you want to find the right fit, especially with those early hires when it feels like you're giving them so much responsibility. It's very scary to hand over the keys and say like, it's your time, go shine. Yeah. Not ideal. And how has it been working with your husband as COO? That's a big deal. I know. You know, we, we had a lot of change in one year. So we got married, we got pregnant, 
we moved across country. I was in New York for 15 years. We moved to LA last year and he left his job to come on full-time with me at the Sculpt Society. So it was a lot of change all at once. I will say though, we had been working together casually for a while and he was working full-time in sales, but on nights and weekends would help me with the Sculpt Society as it was growing. So we already had that, that relationship, but I do working full-time together, working from home having a newborn, it was a lot and it was an adjustment. And it's something we're still working on getting better at, especially when it comes to communication styles. I'm also someone who never worked in corporate life, you know, as a former professional dancer. So he's also teaching me a lot about corporate, how to be a little bit more of like, a, you know, company and like bringing people together and communicating in a certain way because I've been, I was on my own for so long working. Totally. Like you were your own company, basically. Like you just took care of yourself. You got your own opportunities. You were your own marketing department, but now you're like building something bigger than yourself. So you got to think through it. Well, you're still married. So that's a good sign. (laughs) No, honestly, it's been the best thing. I, I, it has been super positive and I'm so grateful that we're like on the same team building this company together and has that, he has that vision of the Sculpt Society as do I. And that's been really just awesome to do together. I love it. And during COVID too, you know, like you said, you had to like really double down with each other, but I'm glad it worked out and so fun. We'll get into some of the business chats in a little too, because I'm so curious to hear how you guys are building out a brand that's so tied to you. Like, I think for me, I find it so interesting when one person is the face of a brand and the advocate for a brand. And while it creates really strong brand identity, it can be really hard sometimes to build a whole team and a whole business when it's so tied to one person. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that. So, all right. Well, we will dive into childhood before we get into 20s. So just for a little context, I mean, obviously you're this really successful dancer, choreographer, all the things. I'd love to know, like as a child, was that also something that you were really passionate about and kind of what did you want to be? And was it in that same creative realm that you are now? Yeah, I was always really passionate about dance. I grew up with, you know, doing classical ballet at the age of seven. And then in high school, I was still doing ballet, but then was introduced to the dance team and just really loved movement. I loved dancing. But funny enough, it, it never was really presented to me as a career path. I think my parents immigrated to the U.S. in the 80s. They're from South Africa. And whenever you talk to kids of immigrant parents, you you kind of hear the same story. But I think for my parents, they really wanted that stability for me. And I think I also was excelling in school. So the idea that I would go to and have a traditional college experience was kind of just what I thought I was going to do because dance was just never... I never shown to me in the different ways that I could could approach that from a career. And so, yeah, funny enough, I didn't think it would be anything other than just a hobby or a passion of mine. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of people with their childhood loves, like soccer players and dancers and swimmers. Like a lot of the times it's sort of that decision. It's like, maybe it's high school, maybe it's college, where it's like, am I going to just play on the team? Am I going to do this for real? And I agree with you. Like, it's kind of funny. There, there isn't a lot of people that talk about that career path. And it's unfortunate. Hopefully with social media now, like seeing you do this, maybe more young people will see like, oh, she's clearly made a career out of it. But what was that moment when you realized, like, I actually want to pursue this in college? Because, you know, you mentioned dance team, you're in high school and you're applying to colleges. And would you mind telling everyone the prestigious school you went to? 
Yeah. Well, I ended up going to, to NYU's Tish Dance program, but I initially didn't. I was I went to school in California, which was probably the darkest year of my life. That's another podcast for another time. But yes, after that that year, I knew it was super clear to me that I, I needed to pursue what I, what I really loved. And so long story short, I ended up transferring to NYU's Tisch program, which was very intense and honestly, more of a conservatory. But I got a BFA, I got a minor in media studies. It was a crazy time, but I, I feel so lucky for for that time at NYU because I think it really prepared me in a way for the craziness of my 20s, which we can get into in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we talk a little bit about the California year. I don't want it to get too dark at all, but like, what was that decision between high school and that California school? I'd love to hear what you were thinking at that time and then what made you decide dance? Because it sounds like there was a maybe following the, what the parents said for a little bit and then you were like, I'm going to do what I want to do and, and going off to NYU. Can you tell me a little bit more about that time? Yeah, I think equally in high school, I you know put a lot of time into academics. I was excelling in academics. And I felt like my peers were all applying to traditional college to have a traditional college experience. And I just honestly thought that that was what I was meant to do. I think subconsciously having a little bit of pressure to do that as well. So I went to school in California and it was honestly just... It wasn't even the people I met great people. I'm still friends with a lot of the people I, you know, met there. I think it was not realizing I was super unhappy and then really taking my unhappiness and focusing on my body. So really started to diet, yo-yo dieting, binge eating, over-exercising with as a way to really numb what I was feeling underneath it all, which was that I was unhappy that I was not pursuing dance. So in retrospect, I can see all of that super clearly. But when I was going through it in my freshman year, it was really confusing because I didn't understand why I wasn't happy. I'm, I'm a very positive person and it just didn't make sense. And then all of a sudden I'm like caught up in this cycle of obsessing about body image and food and dieting. And so I came home from my freshman year just really unhappy. And remember talking to my mom and I was like, I, you know, I need to go see a therapist because this isn't in my nature. I know this isn't right. Two to three sessions with that therapist, really, she cracked it quickly and was like, listen, like you're using this, like someone like an alcoholic would use alcohol or sex or whatever it is, but your, your drug of choice is food. And you're, you're just numbing what you actually are feeling underneath, which is that you're not pursuing what you love. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think hearing you say that, I'm sure it resonates with so many people. Like whether they're going, they went through it previously or they're going through it now, our bodies know when something is off, but it's often harder to confront that. And we just numb it with whatever the thing is. Like you said, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's alcohol, sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's scrolling on social media. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, can be even light stuff, but it can be really detrimental if it's not handled. And I think a lot of people in their twenties experience that not even just in college, like way after, what am I doing with my life? I feel lost. I'm going to numb instead of deal with it. Yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm so grateful. I, it, it was such a hard time. And honestly, it, it wasn't just a year and a couple of therapy sessions. And I was like, you know, cured. It really like, you know, that those behaviors really followed me for a while. And it, it wasn't until my mid twenties that I was able to really crack it and get out of that cycle. But there's so many of us tend to obsess about something and not really understand the true reason behind all of it. Yeah. And I think what you're also saying too, is it takes time. 
that's the other hard part is like, it might look on paper, like within a year, your life turned around and you got into this amazing school. But like, that stuff is you're kind of always battling it. And at different times in your life, I mean, we just talked about how you're a recent mom, which is so wonderful. Your little girl, like, you might also kind of get into this weird, like, ah, life is changing again. And I'm using these old habits. I am so grateful for that time that I went through because I bring so much of that into what I do now and how I talk to women and how I empathize with women and really how I speak through movement on the Sculpt Society app, which is really not using any triggering language. It's very mindful about over-exercising, about diet culture. And I think it's because of the experience of my early 20s, especially that, that freshman year of college, but really into my early 20s, that relationship and that struggle that I had with body image and with food and dieting. Yeah. And I was going to say too, I really feel like that's so evident in what you're doing now. Like you're not one dimensional in your teachings. It's very clearly like holistic. You're taking your past learnings, but also from experts. And it's really clear that you're thinking about like the woman on the other end versus like, this is a business and we need to sell classes. It's very much like, what is her experience and how can I meet her where she's at? Which I think is honestly rare actually really rare. Yeah. And also like, it's like almost what I needed. Like what it's like what Megan needed in her early twenties, right? Like I wish I had a community of women and I wish I had someone in the movement space that didn't, wasn't talking about burning calories and a thigh gap. Like I wish I had that. And so for me, it's, it's like cultivating this community of women to have just a different experience than I did. I love it. And that's like your impact. I mean, hate to plug it, but like, that's why I even started the podcast too. It's like, I want this. I'm like, I selfishly want to log on my phone. And I think that's when the best businesses and ideas come is when you're building it because you want it. And it comes from such an authentic place. And then it's going to find its audience. And then you can grow it from there and all the things. But it's really cool that you've taken it from your own experience. So you're in California for a year after some therapy, some chats with family, you say, I need something different. You go to Tish. And I know you studied dance, which is amazing. How was the end of your experience and how did you land that first job after NYU? And I imagine if you got a BFA, you thought at that point you were going to do dance full-time or were you still, and eh, maybe not? Yeah, I, I got a minor just to please my parents. <laughs> they were like, if you're going to get a dance degree, you have to get a minor. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll do media studies. Did a couple internships, you know, to just tell them I was like, you know, if something happened, I had a backup plan. No, but in my mind, I was definitely going to dance professionally. It was a great experience, but I will say like one thing about Tish is it's like an uncomfortable program to be in, in the best way. Like you get really used to being uncomfortable because they're constantly pushing you and, and pushing you to grow. You're also not necessarily like you set, you graduate and then you're kind of like pushed out and you're like, okay, like, what next? And you're, you know, you're really, it's up to you to go and audition and audition at cattle calls. And like, you're a hundred, you know, a number like not a hundred, a number like 850. And how are you going to stand out? And so my days and my, you know, post-graduation were really filled with long days of auditions. I was a hostess at the Smith in the East village for years, barely making ends meet. I mean, I, I, I don't know how I was surviving and honestly, almost giving up. There were multiple times where I was like, this just isn't in my cards. It didn't happen for me right away. Again, in retrospect, super grateful 
because I think it really teaches you something. I really developed thick skin and you really have to develop into your own biggest cheerleader because if I didn't believe in myself, like I, you cannot show up at a 10 hour audition every single day. And so, you know, I was side hustling. I finally got a job and I was teaching fitness. I was working in fashion as a fit model. So I was, I was like a live mannequin for designers. And then I finally, like I said to myself, like I gave myself a timeline and I said, if I don't, if I don't book something big, I'm, I'm going to leave New York. And I finally booked my dream job with the NBA, which was like my third or fourth audition, by the way, not my first. And I think you always like hear these, like, I just graduated college. I booked my first gig. Like, no, this was like, multiple auditions, multiple years. And so finally booked that dream job and was with the team for two years. It was like the, they were, they had moved into the Barclay Center. It was like a big moment for the first two years there. And, and it it was like a dream, you know, I was getting to do what I love to do, working with the best dancers, I think in the country and teaching fitness for the first time and working in fashion. And it was a whirlwind. Sounds like you also had so many different little buckets going on. So you were able to be like stimulated and kind of just like seeing what was what was going to hit, which is really cool. How did you get the Brooklyn Nets gig? Like that is a huge deal. Was there a person that advocated for you? Was it just sheer grit? Like I'm just going on auditions and hopefully they like me. Like what was that process of getting that gig? And you said three or four auditions. So maybe it was like, they knew you for a while. I mean, I don't know. I, you show up and you're like, literally, I was like number 550. I don't think they knew me. You just, again, have to have the tenacity to continue to show up year after year after getting cut and and know that you have something special to offer and, and really hope that they see you. Also, you know, in the dance world, knowing that like, do they need a brunette that's 5'7"? Sometimes it just comes down to that. And and of the brunettes that are five seven, do they like <laughs> my skills as a dancer? So you know, it was just honestly sheer tenacity, as cheesy as that sounds. Just like believing myself to show up and, and and do the audition, and yeah, it was a really big moment for me in my twenties. It sounds huge. That's so so cool. If you are doing all these different things, right? You're dancing, you're teaching fitness. How do you protect yourself from getting into that like over exercising kind of like way it was before? I think it sounds like you had all these projects going, which was amazing. But some of the stuff that was kind of like, I don't want to, I don't know if I should use the word haunting, but like was troubling you previously, you were pursuing full time. How do you navigate that? Because I know that people experience that now. And I'm just curious how you navigated that. I think luckily I was already in a really starting to be in a really much healthier place with my body and my relationship with food. I had read a a book called Women, Food, and God by Janine Roth, which is really, don't let the title throw you off. It's, It's much more like about intuitive eating, which was the first time I'd really heard that concept. And it was such an aha moment to me that when I got the job and I was already kind of juggling the 100-hour work week, I was already super actively working on on those things, working on the internal dialogue, starting to meditate and dabble into that. And I mean, it wasn't perfect by no means because as a professional dancer, there are some pressures. I think I'd I had really started to hone in on on how I was feeling internally and and the things, the conversations, the stories I was telling myself slash believing about myself were starting to really shift. And that felt like such a relief. Yeah, it sounds like you did the work to be in a good spot to even do these opportunities well. Because like a lot of the times, 
these opportunities can show up when you're not in the space to take them. And so it sounds like you really had put in the work. You'd started these intuitive eating conversations. You'd started mindfulness conversations. You'd been reading books, like you'd been doing things to kind of prep yourself for when that moment came, which is really cool. So you're obviously doing all these amazing things. You're living in New York. You're a dancer. You're a fit model. And then at some point you decide, I want to start the Sculpt Society. So tell me about that kind of juggling, being a real dancer, living the dream in New York to, I want to start a business. Like that's a big jump. So tell me how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And and it wasn't overnight. I will say, you know, I started teaching fitness because I needed another source of income, but I really understood early on that, wow, like this was a moment for me. I, I remember clearly when I started teaching that I really had a big aha moment that this could potentially be a much bigger part of my life than I initially thought because it was the first time I was teaching dance-based fitness and it was super, it was the way I could connect with women was on such a deeper level than I had ever experienced. But the added layer for me was that it was a missing component within my own life, within my own relationship with body and, and with movement because it was joyful. And then you add in the the deeper layer of connecting with women and getting to share how movement can be empowering and can actually have an effect on someone else's life. So while I was experiencing the super high of two years dancing with the Nets, which was amazing, teaching fitness was actually filling my cup up in such a deeper way and opening my eyes up to the potential that I saw for myself within that industry. And so I really dove deep into fitness, really educating myself, taking so many boutique classes in New York at the time. Boutique fitness was exploding. You know, there was Reformer Pilates, there was SoulCycle, all of the things were happening. And I think realizing that I I wanted to do something really special, but I wanted to make sure it was the right time for me. And so I, I think I just got to a place I taught for six and a half years. And then in 2017, I really thought it, I felt that shift and I felt the time was now. And I really worked on what the Sculpt Society would be, what were parts and different elements that I wanted in my own fitness class that I felt like were missing. What was the feeling I wanted women to feel when they were coming to class with me? And so the Sculpt Society was born and it was, it was like really for me, I think going back to how I talk to people in class. It's also like the things I also thought were missing and wanted in in a fitness class. And I just felt like boutique fitness was super intimidating. Why are we making it super intimidating? Everyone's in spandex and no makeup. Let's like make it warm and inviting. Why are we overcomplicating dance cardio and sculpt? Let's make it really approachable. Let's make it athletic and a kick-ass workout, but let's make sure anyone who's coming in as a beginner or advanced leaves feeling successful. And then adding in little elements like sliders, because I love a reformer Pilates class, but I wanted to bring that into a dance, dance and sculpt class, things like that, that just, I think, make the Sculpt Society super special. But if anything, it's really, to me, the feeling that the Sculpt Society gives. I think I always say, my clients come to me for the results, but they stay for the feeling because you're going to get kick-ass results, but it's really the feeling that this class and this community, I think, gets. Oh, I love that. We're all craving that too. We're all craving connection. And like, we find it in different ways. Some people, they can find it in a fitness class. Some people, they can find it in a book club. But to have that in a place where everyone's like sweating together and working out together is very special. And I think too, you had like 
six years. I mean, if we think about this from a business lens, like you had six years to beta test. You had all those like user interviews, if we want to be businessy about it, right? To really understand what people wanted. And so it makes sense too, that you like found a hole that really spoke to you. You already had built this group of people that were excited about what you were doing. And then it was kind of a no brainer. Like I'll just create it myself because it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I will say it was like, it was scary because I knew, listen, like everyone has sort of their devotions to different studios. So leaving and really starting my own method, I knew I was starting from scratch, but I felt really lucky too at the time in New York, there were these incubator spaces that were popping up. So Studio B by Bandier, Energy um, Project, these were all spaces I could teach the Sculpt Society and build my community. And what was so special to me is just to see how words spread. And I think going back to just like treating people, people want to be seen. So like, it didn't matter if there were two people or 10 people or 60 people showing up to class, just making sure everyone was welcomed and that I gave 110% to, I always say Sally Joe or to the influencer or celebrity that I was teaching because everyone deserves that same experience. And I think people felt that and, and told their friends and then, you know, word of mouth is just so powerful. Absolutely. And speaking of word of mouth, obviously word of mouth can be casual conversations. In some ways, word of mouth can be DMing a friend on social media. Hey, this looks really cool. Look at this person. And that segues nicely into your life. I mean, you've built yourself as an influencer on social media. And so when did that kind of take off? And how did that play into the growth of Sculpt Society? Was that there before you started or after? Because I imagine too, when you have such a following, it's much easier for people to send a quick note to their friend or mass group text. So tell me a little bit about when that kind of came in. Yeah, you know, I I did not have a following. I think I had like 300 followers on Instagram when I launched the Sculpt Society. But, you know, as a millennial and an Instagram user, I knew that was a huge aspect of the business and how I could grow my business and reach more people. And I saw that explosion happening. I also felt even it was 2017, I, I felt late to the game. You know, it's, it wasn't, Instagram wasn't new in 2017. So that was a scary aspect of it. But I think understanding just from my own consumption of content that making sure I was on social posting about the class, about my life, just how I consumed and, and I looked forward to following different influencers I really enjoyed the people that were talking to the camera, showing different bits of their life and just understanding that. And then also just understanding the power of influencers and celebrities. So I would, I would literally just DM people I didn't know, like, hi, you don't know me. I'd love to have a private with you or come into my class as my guest. And that would work like one in every hundred people. <laughs> but it, it did start to work and I got some big names coming in. And then again, word of mouth was huge for me in, in some of the influencers and celebrities that I worked with where, you know, it was a friend of a friend who recommended me to a big influencer. And, and that it definitely helped spread the word about the Sculpt Society, specifically in New York at the time. And, and my community started to grow online as well. I love that. I think what you said is so powerful. I just want to double down on it. Like one in a hundred said yes but that was enough for word of mouth. And for the next 100, one would say yes. And for the next 100, one would say yes. And then you'd say, hey, look, guys, we've got these three big influencers, even though you've reached out to 300. And I think that's tenacity, like that's grit. Because a lot of people will reach out to 10, get no responses. And they're like, oh, I guess influencers like aren't interested. 
You know what I mean? Like if it's one in every 100, you just got to keep reaching out. I know. Well, that's how I felt. I was like, I know if I can just get them in and experience what this Wolf Society is about, like they'll be hooked. But it was just like getting them in. So I think if you really just believe in what you are doing, which I really believed in what, what I am doing, again, going back to having thick skin and hearing no a thousand times with dance has really served me in business because... I can take critical feedback and I can be told no, and I will still continue to wake up and do what I do and make it my own. Yeah, absolutely. And make it your own, which is so cool. So speaking of making it your own, I mean, obviously the Sculpt Society is your brainchild. And a lot of this episode, I do want to talk about your perspective on fitness, your perspective on movement. And so I'm sure a lot of it is informed by what you've built at the Sculpt Society, but how do you think about fitness and movement? What's like your definition for them? And maybe it is rooted in how you view it at the Sculpt Society. But I'd love to know what you think about how you think about fitness and movement and what those words mean to you. Fitness for me feels like very clinical. And that's why you'll hear me often say movement, because I think sometimes we're like, okay, we have to wake up and do 100 jumping jacks and 100 burpees. And I want people to shift that conversation. So when I think about the Sculpt Society, it's a way of moving our bodies that is incredibly joyful and fun and is something that we look forward to do. And like I said before, you'll come for the results, but you'll stay for the feeling. It's really that, that to me, that is what I do with the Sculpt Society. Yes, we are moving our bodies. Yes, we are working out, but it is the, the after, it's the feeling, it's the confidence, it's the empowerment that we get from that movement. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not easy to find that. It's not easy to find those spaces where you can feel that empowered and you can feel so good about yourself. What is like the one thing you would say that most people get wrong about movement? I know you you keep emphasizing the joy of it, which I think is so true. And I think a lot of people do experience endorphins. But is there something that you feel like is like a narrative around movement that you're like, gosh, I wish we could yeah, just change that? Yeah, I think for that. women still, for some reason, this idea of like needing to do hours of cardio a day still comes up which blows my mind because listen, I've been there too, where like I, all I did was cardio and it was awful. And I remember like counting every calorie on the treadmill or the stair step or the elliptical and hating every second. And I think I want to give women the freedom to know, like you don't need to work out for hours a day, even take cardio out of it. Like we can get an incredibly efficient, effective, fun workout in 15 or 20 minutes. And another thing I'm constantly talking about to my community is committing to less so that you can show up more. Because I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed. They're like, I can't do a 30, even if it's at home, I can't do a 30 minute workout. I've got, you know, a one-year-old at home where I've got a full-time job and I'm so busy, but it's like, how can we make fitness? I would so much rather have my clients show up five to six times a week and do 15 to 20 minutes or even 10 minutes or even five minutes, commit to less that you can show up more because that consistency is going to build into the habit. And those small habits build over time and they, they build into momentum, they build into confidence, they build into more happiness around your entire life. So it's like these little small little nuggets that I want people to just get into the flow of because I think oftentimes fitness can just feel super overwhelming for a lot of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll speak for myself. Like, it always feels like one more thing on the to-do list. And I know it's important for me and I know that I should be healthy. But sometimes after a long day, it feels so daunting. And I love this idea of like five to 10 minutes and starting small and then just do it in little, little chunks. Don't try to be, you know, doing too much at once. What is, do you guys have any language or thoughts around getting someone to start 
Like I imagine there's obviously those people that are very active. I'm going to shout out my sister for a second. She's a yogi. She's always moving. It's just in her blood. She was a dancer as well. She, it's amazing. She just loves movement. But there's people, maybe myself a little, I'll call myself out, where sometimes it feels like a block. It can be so much harder to just get started and do it. And I can always find something else. Oh, I need to eat dinner. Oh, I need to call a friend. Oh, I need to whatever. Yeah. What is your advice for someone that might feel like stuck? Well, I think even just that, like the commit to less. If you can, I know for me on the days I don't teach live on the app or I don't have a private, I'm like, oh shit, I have to like self-motivate myself. And that can be really hard. And so I understand that feeling. So I do like the little trick to myself where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to throw on a 10 minute quickie. And what happens is then you do the quickie if I have more time, I end up stacking. So I think for you, I would say commit to one of my quickie programs that's just smaller chunks of time. And it gives you the freedom to be like, okay, yeah, I did it. I checked off the box. Like I'm building that habit. I'm building that commitment to myself. So it, again, it's the, the overwhelm of like even 30 minutes sometimes is too much. I think it's that I think it's scheduling it in, like just scheduling it into your calendar, which is, I know, so lame. Even little things for me, the night before putting out my workout outfit and the night before knowing what video I'm going to do the next day. So the, the decision fatigue the next day in the morning at 6 a.m., 6.30, whatever time you're waking up, you just are literally, the first thing you're doing is putting on your workout stuff and you know that, that that's the video you're going to do. I also prefer my clients to follow one of my programs or my weekly guides because it's like floating. You can go into my app and float around, but then you're spending 10 minutes like you are on Netflix trying to figure out what you want to pick out, what you want to watch. Whereas if you follow one of my weekly guides or my programs, I'm telling you exactly what to do every day. And there's just one less decision that you have to make. Yeah, I think that's honestly it. I think a lot of the times it's about having to pick the thing and having to have a program. And like, I think like even going to the gym, people are like, what do I do? And for how long? And what's the order? And what's the, you know, and it's like, it's really hard. That's why I think people like classes sometimes because it's like, they're going to tell me what to do. And you're going to get a way better workout. Yeah, because they actually know because they're also experts at it. So I think that's a great point too. Like finding out a place where you can have some sort of structure, whether it is your workouts or it is a class or something where they can tell you so you're not spending your, precious hours and minutes doing things that are going to give you decision fatigue. You know what I mean? Because that is just the worst use of your time. We're making decisions all day long. Like, why do we need to do another decision? <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> I agree. Even the thought of picking out a workout outfit, like that also is a decision. I'm like, put it out the day before, matching sets. I know. Sometimes I just do it in my pajamas. People are like, why are you always in your sweatpants when you're doing your own work? I'm like, it's because I just don't want to like select another outfit. <laughs> A hundred percent. So fair. And also work from home now. Like a lot of people aren't even on their screens. They're not on video. So they can just do pajamas, workout all day. Don't have to change. Another question I have for you, I think, you know, you've mentioned like your love for intuitive eating or at least your experience reading a book about it. You've talked about mindfulness. But I think so many of these practices, gratitude, connection, they're all so closely intertwined with movement. Like even nature, like you can make the argument that honestly, everything is rooted in movement to a certain extent. How have you guys incorporated some of those, like, I don't know if we want to call them spiritual, intuitive, whatever word you want to use, almost like energetic, like different sides of your life. How have you incorporated them into the practice that you guys have at the Sculpt Society? Yeah, I think it's honestly how I, I speak to my community in the workouts. It's having like the members really tap into 
you know, we'll be in a plank and I'll constantly say like, change the conversation you're having with yourself right now. Like you can do it. You know, even if that means you're putting your knees down and you're modifying like, or what do you need today? Like maybe you need to put your knees down in this plank. Just constant like little check-ins that I think I'm so used to having with myself in my day to day and having a strong touch point with myself. But I think so many of us are just in the go-go mentality and actually haven't slowed down to to ask themselves, like, what do I need today? Oh, it's sort of like a weird question. What do I need? You know? And but like just integrating that repeatedly in my videos. I'm constantly saying like so strong, you're so strong, like instead of another word, but that repetition of strength and reminding women that they're strong is really empowering. And I'm constantly, the feedback is so nice to hear from the community that almost mantra-like repetition of, of certain words starts to seep, seep in at some point. And that's really powerful. Yeah. And probably even outside of working out, they're like at work asking for a raise and it's like, you're so strong. Like these mantras we tell ourselves, they seep in. And so that's really great to hear. I'd love to hear too, like why a female specific community? I'm sure people ask you that. I'm biased. I love my girlfriends. I come from an all-female family. Like I get it from a me standpoint, but I'm so curious as a business and for you, like why did you choose that demographic as like, I want to really focus on a community for women? Yeah, I don't know that it's like that intentional. I think I just know around 95% of my community is female. And so that's who I'm talking to. We have a lot of male members. We have an amazing male trainer, Matt, who does the Sculpt Society, who teaches the Sculpt Society on the app and in, in real life. So I know we have a lot of male clients. I think it's, you know, just thinking about who I'm talking to and, and being really intentional. And I think that's just generally is female, but Maybe I should start to think about broadening that that demo. Well, it's just interesting. Like I think about, I feel like a lot of this whole fitness movement space is very like male focused or female focused. Like even CrossFit, for example, there's so many obviously amazing female instructors, but I think of it as a very like masculine, male dominated type of workout. And I think of core power yoga as more of like a feminine. And it's just really interesting that, I mean, at least just as an outsider who is not in this world at all and just sees these things on billboards and stuff that it's very, there's gender stereotypes around like the types of workouts. And so I just think it's interesting to think about like what is drawing that gender in? Is it a softer language or a harsher language or a more intense workout or a softer? Like it's interesting to think about. Yeah. I love that. And I, yeah, I, I do think language is powerful and p- people are motivated differently. There are, there are people who do want to go to a boot camp class and be yelled at and, and that's how they find motivation. I just don't find it that way. Yeah. And I think women tend to not, and I don't, we don't have to get into the psychology of it because I definitely don't know it, but I definitely think I'm in the same boat. I don't find motivation by like imagining I'm like going to a Navy SEAL like training. Like that's just not going to do it for me. Well, this has been so fun. I do have a final question for you. We do ask all our guests. I know we've touched on lots of different pieces of advice for those who are thinking about getting more in shape and those who want to start a business with such a clear point of view like you have. But if there's like one piece of advice that you would give to all 20-somethings, again, can be fitness-related or business-related or not, whatever you want, what is that one piece of advice that you would give them? I don't know if it's like one. I think it's just the idea that I really thought that my my 20s were supposed to be and look a certain way. And when I was in my 20s, I felt very overwhelmed because I was a hot effing mess. 
And I felt like lonely and shameful in those feelings, especially as like friends were getting like bigger jobs or like in different relationships. And I just, things didn't really click for me until like my late twenties. And so I think the piece of advice is if you're listening in your early twenties and you're like, God, I just feel so lost. Like you're supposed to be lost in your, in your twenties. You're supposed to have shitty jobs where you're realizing what you don't want in your next job. You're supposed to be learning different skills. You're supposed to be side hustling. You're supposed to be figuring it out. And, and in fact, I think the people that got messy in their early 20s are probably having more success in their 30s because they were able to really figure out what they wanted. And so I would just tell myself, like, my timing's happening and just keep doing what I'm doing and lean into the things that I truly love and that truly light me up because those are the things that are going to open so many doors. I love that. And you can maybe build a business around them if you really listen to your passions. <laughs> Who knows? I think that's such good advice. And I think like it's easier said than done to trust in your timing. But I think it goes along with even your philosophy at the Sculpt Society. Like listen to your body, trust the timing. You know, it all goes together. I think our bodies know so much, you know, whether it's about movement or it's just about like destiny in life. Like we should just listen in and be intuitive, which I know is a lot of what you guys practice at the Sculpt Society. So Thank you for that advice. I love it. And can you please let everyone know where they can learn more about the Sculpt Society, ideally where they can like download some of these classes? I think this 10-minute quickie is going to be on my phone tonight. <laughs> yeah, I think a big misconception is that like we just do dance cardio. In fact, it's like 90% low-impact athletic sculpting. So if you're not into dance cardio, do not worry. We have so much for you still. You can find us on our website, which is thesculptsociety.com. You can get 25% off your first month with the code, all caps, code 20. And then on Instagram, you can come say hi. I'm at Megan Group and at the Sculpt Society and same on TikTok. Perfect. How are you liking TikTok? You know, it's just where, it's where growth is happening. Everyone should be on, if you're a business owner, you should be on TikTok. That's another piece of advice for 20-somethings. If you're a business owner, get on TikTok. Very practical. I know. It's really crazy, right? I mean, I'm sure you... Everyone feels like they're late to the game at TikTok, but it's back to what you're saying about Instagram. You're never too late. Listen, Instagram's great and it's just a slow oiled machine, whereas TikTok is exciting and you can find growth and new eyeballs and you're constantly, your content is being fed to new people every single day, whether it goes viral or not. And so it's a big opportunity to be seen from with new people. Whereas Instagram, it's really just your a small percentage of your followers, which is a much smaller demographic. Yeah. And for most people whose followers are only their friends, it's a small percentage of your friends, not even new people, you know? So yeah, no, I totally hear you. Well, yeah, find you guys over on TikTok. And then, yeah, maybe can I, can we see other people in workout classes? Like, can you see who else is on? On the app. So we do live classes every week. You don't see people, which is actually kind of nice. I think a lot of people don't have their cameras off. <laughs> but we do live, we do live multiple live classes every week. We do coffee chats afterwards. The community, I have two trainers in New York. I'm expanding in LA for other trainers. So it is while I am the face of the brand, it is growing outside of myself. We just did a, a Philly pop-up where my my amazing trainer Katie taught and it was sold out at 75 people and I wasn't even there, which was amazing. <laughs> so, you know, we're growing. That's amazing. And that shows that you're delegating well, right? Thank you. Bringing it full circle. You're doing a good job. Well, thank you so much for chatting. This was yeah. so fun. And I hope everyone yeah. takes something thank away from this conversation me. and... 
yeah, listens to their body. I know I definitely did. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20 Something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20 Something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 